Well, hello, everyone. We're so glad you've joined us um, right here and online. We just have a special message for each and every one of you. But before we get started, I kind of want to share something. So our son, Brent, just his love language is gift giving. So every time he goes to the store, he's always looking for something to give to somebody. So he was at the store and he realized his dad's favorite thing is jelly bellies and spicy food. So he found spicy jelly bellies. Yes. So me thinking spicy jelly bellies would be cinnamon or something like that. Not so much. So John had tasted a few. and These he- are Carolina Reaper. And I don't know how they found that flavor, yeah. but these are the real deal. Yeah. yeah. So I usually like spicy food. Usually it doesn't get to me. So he, he John had, hey, you want to try these, these spicy ones? He didn't even give me the spiciest one. I think it was habanero. And I put it in my mouth and you just take like one, like barely into it. And I go, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It, it just penetrated my mouth for at least an hour, went down my esophagus and gave me terrible heartburn for the rest of the evening. But our son, Brent, is very special. Tomorrow's his birthday. It's his 35th birthday. Yes. So I'm just giving him a shout out to wish him happy birthday and um, just to tell him how much we love him. So We've had a lot of fun letting people try those. <laughs> Those not-so-benign jelly bellies. Uh, So here's what we're doing. We start a new series this weekend. It's a little bit different. Um, If you're visiting, it's not our normal give and take that Chris and I teach uh, the message together. But from time to time, we've had the opportunity to do it. We enjoy doing it. I think that you'll enjoy hearing my wife today. Um, It's sort of like if you were to put a label on it, uh, spirit and truth. How about that right there? So Chris brings such a warmth to it, and I think you'll enjoy what she has to say. And I think you'll see why we chose this message to make it a tag team message. But our new series is called Non-Negotiables. Non-Negotiables. Here's the thought behind it. We're living at a time where it seemed like so much of the institutions, so many of the things that we just thought, hey, this is a decided issue, this is the way it's going to be. Uh, You know, we're, we're, uh, for the most part, as a nation, in agreement about so many things. And then all of a sudden, it just seems like like so much of what we just thought was unchangeable has been thrown up in the air. And we're watching institutions, and we're watching so many things suddenly and so rapidly changing. And of course, when that happens, it causes all of us to be in a situation where we feel like, what's going on? It seems out of control. What can I trust in? That's what this message is about. What are the things that are non-negotiable, that don't change, that aren't subject to ups and downs? Those are the things biblically that you want to build your life on. Does that make sense? So when we were writing the message together and we were just talking about what what does non-negotiable mean to us, here were the terms. See if you can agree that this is is what non-negotiable is. In our minds, something that's non-negotiable is something that's already settled, something that's already been decided, something that is solid, something that is dependable. And uh, last but not least, we think that a non-negotiable is something that's not up for debate. It's something that's true, it's right, it's proven. It's not a cultural issue, it's it's an eternal issue. Those are the things you wanna build your life on. So when we were writing the message and talking about, okay, what, what do we want this first one to be about? It happened to coincide with something that's a high value um, issue for us. Uh, we're getting ready to start school 
And normally we will pray over our teachers and pray over our students and our church and just ask for the Lord's protection. And last year about this time, I actually did a message where we had our students stand. And I, I, I spoke this out not realizing exactly what I was saying. I said, this is going to be a special and unique school year. <laughs> now, I meant it in a really wonderful way. But it seemed like uh, it was special and unique, wasn't it? It was very different. And so as we now enter into um, school year uh, 2020 and 2021, it, it's just so uneven right now. Some are talking about starting here. Some are talking about starting here. Many of you that have school-age children are about to become teachers, aren't you? And some parents feel very equipped for that. But we know that we've got many in our church that feel very intimidated by that. And here's probably the most serious issue. Many, many parents that we're talking to right now are worried about the long-term implication of what it means for their children's education. Does that make sense? And that is a legitimate concern and a legitimate issue. And so we thought, what, what can we do as a church to support uh, probably the majority of what makes up our church are people who have students, whether you're a graduate, a college, a, a high school, uh, junior high, elementary, you know, all the way down to kindergartners, a big portion of our church is, is made up of this. And then if you say, well, I'm not in that part right there, maybe you fall into the place that we do where we're not influencing our school-age children, but now we're influencing our grandchildren who are that age right there. And it's important and it's, it's timely. So we made the first message in non-negotiables. Here's what we called it. Family non-negotiables. Ways that you build your family. What can you do right now that brings stability and helps to, uh, to create uh, God's promise that great will be your peace and undisturbed composure? What can we do to make sure that that's happening in our, our, our homes and, and with our children at school and in our marriages and, uh, you know, in, in just the bigger picture, even in our church, what can we do to make sure that that solidity, that peace, those non-negotiables are, are increased? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So I would say our very first one that's the most important to us that is love Jesus. In our family, it was love Jesus. Yeah, um, we, we uh, if you need a scripture like, uh, you know, pastor, where in the Bible does it say love Jesus? Uh, all of it, yeah. pretty, pretty much, right? But if you want a specific, right, you're a note taker and you want a specific, I think that the most clear scripture that Jesus taught, the importance, the significance, and where it ranks, uh, he's asked um, by a young professional, someone who is accomplished, educated, polished, but who also very much uh, is not just about being successful in the world, but also uh, successful in spiritual things. So this person comes to Jesus and says, of all the commandments, right? And if you were a, a, a Jewish person at that time, you're trying to keep 600 plus laws, right? So this guy comes and just, he gets to the bottom line. Of all the commandments, tell me the one. Which one is most important? I think that's a legitimate question, right? And Jesus, this is what he says. You must love the Lord, your God, with all your what? All your, all your, and all your strength. So Jesus just cuts right to it, the most important commandment. He actually gives two answers. Uh, instead of just one loving God, he actually attaches a second one that he says is of equal importance. But as we go down, we'll talk about that. So our non-negotiable, and we think if you're a believer, this should be your first primary 
non-negotiable to make sure that you're building your family, keeping the peace of God, making sure it's going in the right direction. Your non-negotiable should be as a family, we're going to love Jesus. Right? It's not up for debate. It's not optional. It's not if we feel like it. It's not if it works well for us. It's not if, um, if everybody else agrees with us. That should be your non-negotiable that you can build your life on. It's so important, um, you know, we all have different strategies as parents to promote, to love Jesus, um, or ways like reading your Bible and praying, and we're going to talk about some of those other ones, but we all just need to, as parents, strategize how we're going to um, tell our kids and how we're going to show our kids to love Jesus. Yeah, um, I, I think that, uh, you know, when... We always ask ourselves when we do things like this, um, we set ourselves up for a little bit of a target. Like, what makes you think you, you're qualified to sit up here and, and tell us about how to have a godly family or how to raise uh, godly children? We think what qualifies us are two things. One, it's our job. <laughs> yep. Do I, did I say that too fast? <laughs> our job. And second, here's, here's what we think. We don't claim to have a perfect marriage, and we don't claim to have perfect children. Um, We know we don't have perfect male children, uh, for sure. Um, But here's what we do claim, that we have the advantage of having walked down this path, and here's the fruit that that we have. All five of our children are committed Christ followers who don't live that part time or only when it's convenient. They love Jesus when we're there, and they love yeah. Jesus yeah. when we're far away, right? It's their life that they have chosen. So what we're trying to communicate is we, we certainly made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. There are certainly things we would, um, we would do completely yeah. different. Yeah. But the one thing that we are going to teach today, here's the things that we know work. And when you, when you choose your, your number one non-negotiable is that our family is going to love Jesus. It's not up for debate. There are certain things that you do to help um, develop that, like Chris said, in the lives of your kids. So here's the things that we put down that we would do again. So how did we train our kids? Church is a priority. Camps, youth groups, missions trips, church every weekend. And I know we've said this many, many, many times. I know you've heard us say this, but I'm telling you, it's tried and true and it works. You get your kids here for, you make that a priority as adults. Obviously, we're pastors, and yes, we we were here, but we were here because we wanted to be here. So we taught our kids, hey, this is a priority to our family. And yes, of course, at times, different things will interfere. The boys played sports all the time. They played three sports each each during high school. But it was a priority that they had to go and be a part of youth. And I know when we started the church... um, you know, it was very small. We had a very small youth group. I think there were like six kids. And five were ours. <laughs> and so that doesn't make it to uh, be so much fun, but just the priority of setting, hey, listen, church is important to us. And you never, 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 never know when your children are there, you never know what they're going to pick up or who they're going to meet or who's going to impact their life or what somebody's going to say about how important Jesus is or a life scripture that they may hear in youth group or on a missions trip that they're called to people, 
I'm telling you what, these make a huge difference. So make it, make it, make it a priority to have your kids. And we started young. I mean, we started putting them in the nursery young because they're, they're the atmosphere, they're hearing about Jesus and they're learning scriptures. And they're, you never know how much they're taking in. But I promise you, they're taking in a lot more than you think. Yeah, I think, you know, to sit here now, you hear that makes it sound like there were never um, wrestling matches over going to church. Our children, like any other children, there were times they contested. And we don't want to go. And they used all the things. It's boring. We don't like the preacher. <laughs> all those types of, you know. Uh, it, just, we heard it all. Um, I, I think one of the things that we made a decision early on, and this seems to be a real battle in our culture today, is that we worship sports. Mm-hmm. We really do. We put such a high priority on sports. And here's what we act like. When I make the decision that uh, our non-negotiable is that we're going to love Jesus, a lot of people, they wouldn't say it this way, but their lifestyles betray. Um, Instead of we love Jesus, it would be we love sports. Mm. And they'll do everything, including spend their money, spend their time, and arrange their priorities around their children playing sports. Mm -hmm. And so when Chris mentioned that our played sports, we didn't ever set it up where, okay, sports are here and Jesus is here. Here's how we did it. As long as Jesus stays yep. here, you can play sports. Yep. yep. Does that make sense? But if this ever slips, then our answer to that is that this has to be the give with sports. We don't give on Jesus. And our kids were way into sports. When she mentions that they played three sports, mm, we're yep. talking football, wrestling, David then did track, and Daniel did uh, lacrosse. So we had, we had, you know, we'd go from one, one would not even be over when the next one began. And yeah, they spent yeah. so many hours, and we traveled so much, but we never, ever let it interfere with the, um, with the primary thing. Now, of course, there were times, yeah. there was a tournament, there was a, uh, a playoff, something like that. Of course, we could be flexible, but we never allowed uh, the main thing to become the secondary thing, right? And so, look, here, here's, here's the bottom line. Uh, David was so good at, at football that he played it uh, Division I in college. That's, that's tremendous. But we had put inside of his head and in his heart that that is the secondary thing. Jesus is the first thing. So that when he's on the Butler football team, he's actually leading a Bible study for the athletes. Uh, on his team. So yes, he's playing football. Yes, he got the, the, the degree. Yes, it worked out well. But the primary thing was that he loved Jesus, number one. And that, I, I think parents today are, are in that place of so, you spend so much money, so much time, and it seems to be yes. so important. But really, here, here's what you're doing. You're communicating to your children when you make a choice that, um, hey, God, God can come in second place. And when you do that, it won't just last for high school. That's what they'll take into the world. Their job will take first place. Yep, yep. Right? Uh, a, a hobby will take first place. Church uh, a relationship with Jesus becomes a flexible thing that when it's convenient, we do it. And we put these other things as being, hey, here's where we're going to serve. Our-. Can I just tell you what it's really called? It's called idolatry. Yeah. 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 And we fought that battle too. And I'm just telling you, it's worth it to make a non-negotiable that we're going to love 
Jesus. Yeah. He also brought all those football players to church too. He'd invite them all to church, and all the like a dozen would all go into the church that he was attending, um, which was pretty special. Yeah. Um, the second thing I would say is prayer is normal. Prayer is normal. Um, the way I would describe prayer in our house, muscle memory. Prayer was a muscle memory. If you do it enough, it will always be the first response. And I know that, I mean, we prayed all the time and they didn't have to be long, lengthy prayers. We prayed before they went to school. We prayed when they went to bed at night. We prayed before a sports event. We prayed before they left to go on a mission trip. We prayed if there was an injury. We just, we prayed all the time. It's our first response to do that. And when John would lead and pray early on, when they were smaller and littler, the, uh, you know, I was raised in church my entire life. So it was very easy for me to just pray. That's what I had learned. But for him, it was a little bit more uncomfortable. And so as a wife and wanting to encourage your husband to lead in that area, the way I did that is he would pray and I would say, yes, Yes, he'd pray and say something, and I'd say yes. And honestly, and and I had mentioned this last night, when he led, he led with authority. I mean, I don't even think he realized it at that time, but the authority, and I meant he was the leader, and it was easy to follow, but I don't think it was as as comfortable as I'm making it sound for you. No, I think, um, you know, maybe this is a truth that while you're sitting there, you wouldn't verbalize this, but maybe you feel this way. And I very much could relate to this. Chris, um, when it came to spiritual things, she, she had such an ease and she was so good at it. It intimidated me to be a spiritual leader. She was just so good at it. I didn't know how to take my place. And I was always worried that I sounded silly when I prayed or that I didn't know how to pray well. And so what, what she was saying, what she did that encouraged me and, and uh, to, to the wives that are listening right now, if you have a desire for your husband to become that spiritual leader and you want him to take his place, listen, criticism is not the way to get anyone to do anything. So let me just try it out. How many of you love to be criticized? You live every day to be criticized and that's what changes your life. You know what changes your life? When you are blessed, when you are encouraged. So Chris did the simplest technique. Here's what she would do. When I was praying out loud and I felt so intimidated and my voice was, was quiet because I didn't want to risk it, she would just say out loud, yes, amen. And it, it gave me the idea that what I was saying meant something, that it actually, she liked it. And once you begin to get a little bit of, you know, hey, I, I know what I'm doing, all of a sudden you begin to have that confidence and it takes that place. And if you are looking for um, you know, you want your husband to step into the spiritual leadership of the house rather than, than criticize and rather than just, boy, I, I wish you were like Pastor John. Never say that. You, you should be so thankful your husband's not like Pastor John. <laughs> Trust me, man, I'm more than you could handle. Um, it, it's it, it, having a, um, an encouraging, permissive atmosphere for spiritual things allows those things to yeah, take place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's muscle memory. Don't I, I remember when Daniel um, injured his knee, and you guys have heard that story. And um, it was really hard to pray then because we were praying for healing. We were praying, hey, God, heal him, heal him, heal him, because so, I so desperately wanted God to heal him because I knew this was going to uh, ruin his senior year, so to speak. Um, and all I could do is just pray, Jesus. Just Jesus, just be with him. You have a plan and a purpose. Just be with him. 
And if you choose to heal them, God says he will heal. But sometimes they want to, the Lord wants to bring our children through things that we want the easy road for them. And God doesn't always want the easy road for them. And with that, God did not want the easy road. And God used that instrumentally in his life to change his life and to pursue YWAM and ministry. And, um, but at the time, it was devastating for me. So I just had to pray that Jesus would be with them and then go ball in my room and pray that Jesus would be with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, so how else did we train? And by the way, I, we, we kind of entered into the message. Chris and I don't do this every week, and so it's a little bit of a give and take. It's unrehearsed. What you're seeing is us just trying to do this. Um, our scripture on the training is Proverbs 22, 6, which reads this way. Teach children how they should live and they will remember it all their lives. The one you're probably more familiar with, but I think it's a bad uh, translation, says, train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from it. But here's what I've found to be true over the years and just pastoring so many godly people, that there are people who who in their family, they choose, we're going to love Jesus, but that's not a guarantee that your children are going to love Jesus. And so we take that scripture and we think, okay, it says train up a child in the way he goes and when they're old, they won't depart from it. It's a bad translation because it puts either the word of God lied or or you were a failure as a parent, right? How about it's neither? Sometimes children simply decide that your God is not my God and your values are not my values. That's a heartbreaking scenario for a person and a parent in particular to come to because you believe something that you, you've sacrificed something so much to, to make sure that your children are included in that circle when you stand there in front of God in eternity and all of a sudden you feel that's at risk when a child goes their own way. So what do you do in that situation? Here's what Chris is saying. You pray and you trust God. And sometimes you have to turn a, children, a, a child over to the Lord's protection and allow for their decisions to have an effect. And, I, you know, Terry said, John, when you're talking about these difficult things, you can't expect people to be excited when they hear something like that. Here's what I expect you to do, that if you're a believer, you should be trusting God with everything in your life. And if you're trying to control a particular situation, how do you know when you're not operating in God's grace? If you're worn out, trying over and over and over again, you're doing it in your strength and not in the grace of God. And sometimes when you find yourself just battering that wall over and over, we've taught, we've said, we've prayed, sometimes you just have to go, okay, God, we're going to put this child in your hands. The Bible actually says that God will use the buffeting of the enemy in order to get a person's attention. That's not an easy road. But sometimes that's a necessary road so that the child's soul will be saved is what the Bible says. Jake asked me, Pastor Jake, when we were sitting downstairs, he said, "Um, when you're teaching, have you thought all the things you're going to say in all the sentences? And how do you do that? And I said, "Um, this is what my notes look like. There's probably 150 words on the page, right? And all I do is have something that I felt like the Holy Spirit gave me. And then in each service, I look for the Holy Spirit to lead my mind into something. And then I just have to have the courage to be willing to go there. What just happened a moment ago was not scripted, nor 
Well, I probably say it in the next service and I didn't say it last night. It was something to be said right here and right now for someone. The enemy would love to take what I just said and produce fear in you, but here's the counterbalance to fear is that God is in control and loves your child more than you love your child. And God's heart is not to harm your child. God's heart is to save your child. And while that may mean that, hey, there's a road there that could be difficult, God's ultimate end is to make sure that your child is okay. And there's a trust issue that comes in on that. And I'm not sure why we sort of diverted right now. And maybe I just need to move on from this. But I feel so heavy to stop for a moment and just say to any parent or grandparent who might be hearing this and maybe a child that's listening, listen, um, God does love you and does care for you. And maybe you need to find out on your own that it's true. Um, Parent, trust the hands of the Lord. When you can't see, you know, his activity, trust his heart that God is good and that he cares about what's going on in the life of your child. Okay, enough of that. Baby, you go. Well, it ha- you know, I'm going to tag on to that because I feel like the Lord real quickly wants to say something with that, with our son Daniel and what God used is after he graduated, he um, wanted to move to Fort Collins and God really wanted to get a hold of his life. And God knew that we didn't need to see how God was going to get a hold of his life and God got a hold of his life. And we don't know um, the way of the transgressor is hard and we don't know what God does. And sometimes God protects us as parents by not, um, especially adult parents or or, um, adult, older adult children, late teenage. Um, But God is working And when we say we pray, we prayed for him even though he wasn't with us. We prayed for all of our kids after they left. Um, But the way of the transgressor is hard, and God can use that to turn him to Jesus. So um, lifestyle is taught, not caught. Um, And then vision. Why are we here? There's a scripture in 1 Peter 2, 9 that says, But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Your children, or if you're a student, you are a chosen generation and God has called you to be here on this earth right now for a purpose. And I know it's difficult, man. Everything's just like um, uncertain and unprecedented and blah, blah, blah. But God (laughs) has chose you to be here for now. Don't lose hope. God is in control. He's in control of our life. He's in control of our students' life. God is in control, and he knows what he's doing, and he wants us as a people to turn to him. We are a chosen generation, but your child is a chosen generation, and that is one way that we created vision. What has God called you to do, whether that's in the financial world or whether that's being here with us? Whatever God has called you to be, what has God called you to be? Because you are chosen, and for such a time as this, God has put you on the earth from as little as can be. You start speaking that over their life, the vision, the vision of what God wants them to be and to do, and so they can have enough courage and motivation to walk in that direction. Their chosen generation. Don't you there. love her? There. She just <laughs> is so good. Um, I, I would think one of the things that, um, that we learned early 
and that, uh, that helped us to practice these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many times you'll hear a message like this and then you'll think to yourself, okay, I, I want to go home and I, I, w- I really want to do this. I want to I make Christ the priority. So uh, we, we think in terms of like the big thing. I need to find the big thing to make the big statement. And can I just say to you, mm. life really isn't made up of big events. Nope. It's made up of mundane of everyday events, events that add into yep. a big event, right? Yeah. And so um, the scripture covers this in, yep. in the idea of working with our children, training our children, setting up a godly household. Uh, it actually is what God told the nation of Israel to do with their children. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it's, uh, it's these five verses. And, and so we just quoted the, the verse where the, um, the, the young lawyer asked Jesus, what's the most significant commandment? What's the one thing I need to be doing? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God. Jesus was actually quoting from this scripture in the Old Testament. Look at this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and then you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. So, so the Bible's telling us, love God with everything, and then he tells, here's how you establish this in your life, in your household, with your children. Look at this sentence. Repeat these commandments that I've given you, loving God and loving God with everything. Repeat them again and again. And and to your children. We always think, I just need to have this big thing happen and I'll make the big statement. You you will not introduce them to Christ waiting for this big thing. Talk to your children when they wake up in the morning, when, when you're sitting together in the afternoon, when you're on a vacation, when you're at a restaurant, when you're struggling with different problems. Teach them that Jesus is a part of the problems. He has the answer. Make it a normal part of your everyday life. Um, talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road, when you are going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, For those of you who have ever seen an observant Jew, a Hasidic Jew, who they take those those black leather bands and they wrap them around their arm. How many of you know what I'm talking? Have you ever seen that picture? What is that? It comes from this scripture right here. And then they'll take that little black Uh, It's called a phylactery. It's a little black box that they put on their forehead and it's filled with scriptures. That's where they get it from. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. They take it literally, but spiritually it means when when God gives us commandments, when when he teaches us how to do things, we're to make it a normal part of our, don't wait for the big thing. Talk about God in the morning. Talk about him in the afternoon. Talk about him before you watch TV. Interrupt them while they're watching TV to say, boy, uh, that's that's not a very uh, Christ-like attitude. Did you get what I'm saying? Just put it in every part of their life so that's the normal. And of course they're going to go, God, you're you're like a broken, is all you have is one message? Yes. That's the message that Jesus loves you. You're planting seeds constantly is what you're you're trying to do whoops you better go my mic fell off so um how do we know it's taking root in your kids 
kids teach what they've been taught. They not only teach their own kids what they've been taught, but they teach others what they've been taught. They invite their friends to church. They invite them to camps. They teach their kids that Jesus is the priority and that they um, pray with them before. And when you know and you begin to see your kids telling their own kids these things, you know that it's taken and you know that it's working because it change doesn't happen in a day. It happens daily. So those changes, just keep, keep it up. Yep. Uh, here's the second thing. And I, Chris, we've got to, we got Rush. to speed up just okay. a little bit here. Um, so we love Jesus. That's our first. The second one is just, we love people, man. That, that was a principle. Um, and it's the second half of that verse that I, that I talked about. Pull that up for me, guys. So Jesus was asked, what's the most important? Nope. It's, nope. There you go. Um, what's the most important commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then Jesus says this. The second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these two yeah. commandments. Love God and love people. In uh, the book of 1 John, uh, the apostle John actually says this. The way that we know that we love God is we're loving people. And yeah. if we don't love people, we're lying to ourselves about actually loving God. Do you get that? Mm -hmm. How do we know we love God? We love people around us. Our uh, Amy was a, a junior in high school and uh, a family had come to this church and they had a special needs son, which is very near and dear to our hearts. Um, and anyways, this family came, these parents came to us and said, hey, we want to know if it's okay if our son asks Amy to prom. And we were um, hesitant because we didn't want to commit her to something that she may not ha have the heart to do. So we went home and we asked her, hey, Amy, would you like to go to this boy, for with this boy, to senior prom? You know, she knew he had special needs, of course, had hung around him a little bit at church. And her response was, of course, of course I would. That, it would be an honor to go with him. Ugh. Our heart is, was like just taken back, like what character this young woman has to, to love people, all people, everywhere. To love people is what we encouraged her and encouraged all of them to do, to love people. And she just showed us right there how much she loved people. Yeah, so maybe, maybe picture for a moment, use your imagination. Um, it's this, this, this young man's senior prom. He's pretty profoundly special needs. Um, it had affected him physically, emotionally, um, just, it, it was pretty profound. He had trouble even, even talking. And so, um, his mom and dad had helped him to come to our house to ask her to go to the prom. She said yes. And he just lit up like, you know, it was the most amazing thing. Here's our beautiful daughter who puts the same amount of time and we spent the same amount of money making sure that she got the dress that she wanted. Imagine this beautiful, beautiful young woman who when um, he couldn't drive, his father had to drive him, came to our house and he came with a corsage. And here this guy um, comes to our door and has the most beautiful date that's ever gone to any prom in the world. <laughs> Goes with him to the prom, when they walked into the prom, people just stopped. The whole thing came to a stop. They turned and watched this beautiful young woman um, with this, this special needs boy, and they danced together, and they had such a, a wonderful time. She's not here telling the story. Of course, we're proud of our daughter, but it was more than just an act of kindness. It was an act of love is what it was. And teaching your children that we love people 
And it's not always yeah. easy yeah. to love people. Mm -hmm. It's easy to love people that are like us, and people that agree with us politically. Mm. Yeah. Chuckle, chuckle. <laughs> but it's not easy to love people who don't look like us, who do not embrace the values that we embrace, who do not support the people that we vote for, are the things that we believe to be true that are settled issues. Yes or no? Mm -hmm. And Jesus never says, love the ones who vote the way you vote. Yeah. Wow, thank you for that huge amen right there. <laughs> he tells us, love those who hate you. And bless those who disagree with you. Man, that is difficult to do. Yes or no? Yeah. It's difficult to do. And the greatest statement that God is actually alive is when we can love that way in this world. So the last one is um, unloving people is to honor authority. Um, example, you know, I'm going to go off script, nothing unusual here, but um, when our son Daniel was in high school, he, I think he was a freshman, and the teacher, I went to a parent-teacher conference and told, he told me, the teacher told me that Daniel was being kind of disrespectful and just smart mouthing him and being a teenage, a dumb teenager, basically. Um, and he came home and he told me, because honestly, what the teacher, it was kind of unfair. And kids are all about what's fair and not fair, but life's not fair. So sometimes God uses that to show them. And he came home and he was telling me, and we were talking about this conversation. I was telling him, Daniel, you honor your teacher. You honor them, not because they're better you honor them because God has put them in authority over you. You honor them. And he, of course, as a smart aleck teenager, says, well, what if they tell me to jump off a cliff? And I said, then you jump. And he was mortified that I would tell him that. But I, I had to get my point across. Because, honestly, it doesn't matter who is president. We honor the position of the pre We may not agree. We honor a teacher. We honor the authority that God has put in our life because that's how we honor Jesus, through honoring the authority. Well said, Chris. I know that that is, um, for many people today, that is not a given. It's not a settled issue. There seems to be a true spirit of lawlessness that's taken over in our nation. And you have two camps, and both feel that they're right. But the biblical worldview, and you must teach and live a biblical worldview, is this. We've been told, honor those who are in authority over you. They do not exist unless God has put them yep. in that position to begin with. And that is hard for us to understand here in this country. But that is what the Word of God says. And your job as a parent is to teach a Christian worldview not a political world yep. view. Yep. Politics are important. Involvement yep. is important. Being on the right side of issues, yes, they're important, but they do not take the precedent over a Christian world view. Teach a Christian worldview. If I had my way, every child that graduated high school and before they went to college, I would love mm. to take them and spend a year developing a, yep. a good understanding of a Christian worldview so that they could defend why we believe what we believe. Why is it true? Because what is about to happen to many, many of our yes. young people is they will leave the security of your faith 
And they will be suddenly faced with someone else's faith who is very good at what they believe. And they will be challenged. And if they are unprepared for it, we lose generations of people. Not because they, they, <laughs> their, their beliefs are not true, but because they're unable to defend why their beliefs are true. And it's very difficult to stand by yourself when everybody else is going a different direction, especially right now. Yeah. Yeah. Man, if I could have my way, yeah. I would say that year between high school yeah. and college, make sure that you have a child who has a developed worldview of Christianity. Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we believe in creation? Why do we believe that Jesus is alive? What, what's the proof of these things? And for many, many of our kids, listen... They have your faith. They don't have their own faith. Yep. It's a mistake that Christian parents make. And you assume that your faith will get your child through for the rest oh. of their lives. All children have to develop their own faith. Yeah. Yep. Just like you did. And it's so important, man, that they have a good basis to develop that faith right there. Gosh, this message totally has gone in a completely different way. <laughs> okay, just throw these away. Oh, it was such a lighthearted <laughs> message last night. <laughs> Woo, okay. Wonder what the next one's going to be. I don't know. <laughs> Here's the last one. Yep. So we love Jesus. We love people. We taught our children, and we think that you should take this yep. series. Teach your children to love your family. Teach them the priority of your family, not our family, not family just as a statement. Teach them to love your family. We, um, one of these ways, one of the ways we did that, we invest time. Now we are all busy. Even to this day, we were all busy when they were younger, even more so now, but we had made sure that birthdays, holidays, vacation, meals, meals, different things like that were always a priority. We invested the time in that. And they knew that when the birthday would come around, that that day was given to that child, or if you have twins, to those two children. <laughs> half the day to Daniel, half to Dan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but you just invest that time in that. I um, remember John had mentioned earlier when David was in college that we knew it was his senior year. He loved, 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 loved playing football. And we were all so proud of him. I mean, our heads were just like, anytime we had the chance to brag about him, we did and still do. Um, but they, we all took turns. We went with all the kids at different times to see him play his last football games. Ah, what an honor it was. We were so proud. We were like, that's our son. That's our brother out there. So we invested time and money in prioritizing how much each other, how much we care about each other in our family. We invested the time. Yeah, I think um, I've tried to teach this over the years, and I'm not sure that people have always understood it. The Bible tells us a story about Noah and that um, God had looked at the creation of mankind and the word says that um, the intent of their heart was always evil. They spent their days imagining how to do evil. And the Bible says that God was actually grieved that he made man. And so if you know the story, God tells Noah to build an ark. And it takes Noah approximately 100 years to build an ark. And this is what the Bible says about Noah. We never put these things together. Mm. The Bible says that Noah found favor in his generation before the Lord and that Noah was yep. a preacher of righteousness. Mm. Meaning, as people were walking back and forth while Noah's building the ark, Noah would explain to them why he's building the ark and tell them, you need to repent. God is grieved. Yep. And the only safety is for you to get on this ark. And there's room on this ark. You'll be safe if you get on this ark. And for a hundred years, Noah preached righteousness in his generation. Here's my point. 
when the rain finally started and the door of the ark was closed, how many people actually got on the ark? Eight people. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. So Noah had a ministry that lasted for a hundred years and eight people got saved. Would you consider that successful? By today's standard, we'd laugh at that person and say, that's the most, you've spent all this money and only eight people listen to your message. Hear what I'm about to say. If the only people who hear your message are your family and they make it to heaven, you were successful. Lady, you were successful. Sir, you did the right thing. If everybody else misses the ark, that is a tragedy. But if your family is standing there before the Lord and the circle is unbroken, you did well. That's your priority, man. It's my priority above the church, my priority above my activities, my priority above everything else is my family. It's not exclusive where no one else matters, but it comes first. Our family and teaching our children, our family is a place of safety. You will always have this as long as we can do something about it. I'm going to finish that story with Noah after he got off the ark. This I found just pretty profound. John taught this message many, many years ago, and it really did change my life in many ways. But after he got off the ark, he planted a vineyard and um, made wine from this vineyard. And the wine was so good, obviously, um, he got drunk and um, he passed out. Naked. Naked and drunk and passed out. How would you? Yeah. Noah. This is Noah. I was like, Noah? Noah. Um, But what I found so amazing was his son's One of his sons saw it. He went and got a blanket and the other sons came back and they walked backwards so they didn't see their father naked and they put the blanket over his body so he would not have shame and guilt when he would come out of um, being passed out. They protected and they defended their father so he wouldn't have to feel guilt and shame. And that's what family needs to do, not only as our family, but as a church family. We need to protect our church family. We need to protect them from shame, shame and guilt. We carry that almost all the time anyways. We don't need somebody else coming in and saying, Look at you. Look at you. What did you do? We need to be the one to cover and to defend our, not only our own families, but our church family is so important to do. Yeah. You know, the Bible says that one of the names for the enemy, he's the accuser of the brethren. He accuses believers. We live in a world that's always pointing fingers and telling us about our failures. I don't know if you know the singer Jackson Brown. I'm betraying my age right now. Jackson Brown, in one of his lyrics, the the great theologian Jackson Brown, um, says, don't remind me of my failures because I have not forgotten them. No one in this room is unaware of their sin. Do you know what we need? We need people who don't remind us of our failure. We need people to remind us that we are redeemed in Jesus. We need people to remind us of our dignity. We need people to remind us that we have hope and that we have a tomorrow. A church, get that picture. The father, the patriarch, the man who saved humanity is drunk as a skunk, naked, passed out. And his sons walk in backward with a blanket so that they don't even look at his nakedness, his shame, and cover him and then leave. Wouldn't a church that helped people find dignity... And help people find, 
And you know what? If you're a legalist, you're sitting out there, what about the sin? My God, Jesus has dealt with the sin, folks. Yeah. The church doesn't need to focus on the sin every time. Yeah. We need to focus on the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Amen. And if you're like, but pastor, what about the sin? What about our Jesus? What about our Jesus? Sorry, I had to preach. Okay. So make family, make it a safe place. And not only here, but with your own family. Um, so right now we want to transition. We want to pray for um, our students and our parents and our teachers. So if you are a, on our Jubilee team, could you guys please encircle the sanctuary? Um, and if you are a student, I want you to stand up, all ages, little. If you're at home and you're a student, I want you to stand up from here to college because I want to read a scripture to you. The scripture, 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Every student here, God has given you a sound mind. You do not need to be afraid because God is in control. God knows he knew long before 2020 was going to happen what's happening. He's prepared you for this and he knows you can get through it and God has a place and he wants you to, um, if you can, just sit back and enjoy and allow God to be God. So Pastor John, would you pray for our students? Yes. Um, so if you, uh, a parent, a grandparent, maybe just you're part of the greater family of our mm. church, would you just help us right now? Would you just lift your hands? Mm. And allow you, your life to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit just to speak blessing over the lives of our students right now. And just, just agree with me. Come under agreement as I pray. Father, first I lift up our little ones who are mm. students. Yes, Jesus. Perhaps they're kindergarteners, preschoolers, first, second, third grade, somewhere in that young, um, j just that, that age, Father God, where... I, so many things are being written right now on the tablet of their hearts. And Father, we live in a, a time where these little ones, Father God, it's so hard for a little one to understand what's going on today. And children should be allowed to remain innocent and have a childhood. And so, Father, I just want to pray that for our little ones. Lord, let them have an awesome, fun school year. Instead of it being um, a difficulty and uh, up and down and, and um, just a, 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 oh, I can't wait to get through this. Let this be fun. Our God specializes in taking what was meant for evil and doing good with it. So Father, triumph over the enemy of your people and give God a blessing in this school year that goes beyond any other ever before. God, I now just begin to pray for our adolescents, Lord. Those who are growing up and going into junior high and high school, Lord. Uh, such an such a in incredibly important time. I think about those of you who graduated uh, from high school or college this, this last season and how so many things were taken from you. I just want you to know that mattered to the Lord. The Lord was not incompassionate with that or unmoved with that. He cares about what's important to you. Do you know that the Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly yes. above all that you ask and imagine? 
And I'm going to ask right now that the Lord would just do something spectacular for you as you have come out of this very difficult time. That you would find a blessing beyond your wildest imagination. And I just pray that God attaches that to you. And this would be a good season. I pray for our college and our graduate students. You're about to do it. You're about to enter into life. You're going to be the ones making the decisions and making a difference. And oh, I pray for you above success, above money, uh, above position. I pray for you a connection with Jesus that gives you a true meaning for all the ways you're going to be spending your time and spending your life. I pray that you would have a love for Jesus that would, it, it, you would be his, just his hands and his feet and his, his heart in the place that you're going to be working and in the final school year that you're in. I pray that it would be easy for you and that you would just find it, just a, 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 a simple path that you're able to walk on. I ask that God take the complexity of the day we're living in and just make it simple for you. And that you would look back and go, that was an easy time. That was not a difficult time. And I pray that over you in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. So if you're a student, go ahead and sit down. And now if you're a parent and you're, you're going to be homeschooling and you're trying to figure out work, I just want you to stand up. But I just want you to know, again, God, and this is for you online watching, not only just here. Grandparents, too. Grandparents, grandparents too. Yeah. Love grandparents to stand. Anybody who's involved with... Um, younger students and are faced with many things today. I just want you to know that, man, you are so important, so important. And every single day, God's mercies are new. And you may have a bad day homeschooling, or you may have a bad day trying to figure out all of this, but God's mercies are new every morning. And he's anointed you. He's anointed you for right now. He, well, he knew what was going on. He knew what was going to go on in 2020 and God is for you. So just get ready because God is going to use you for your child, your child or your children's lives. So get ready. Get ready, parents. Yeah. Father, you tell us if we lack wisdom, we can ask of you who gives um, liberally, is what you say, to all people not playing favorites. So perhaps there are parents who are very educated in how to teach, and maybe there are some parents who have no idea what they're about to do. Maybe you're a grandparent, and you're the one who's going to be the influence in that situation. The Bible tells us that God doesn't favor one over the other. He gives his wisdom that comes from the very throne room of heaven to each of us when we ask it. So for every parent, every grandparent, every adult who's about to be an influence on a child, I pray for the wisdom of God to enter your minds. I pray that you would know with great surety, here's what it is, and here's what I need to teach, and Here's the way it needs to go. I pray for creativity for you. You may feel like the most uncreative person. I'm praying right now that God would give you things that are just like, they're incredibly fun, incredibly interesting, uh, incredibly drawing that your student is, your your child is just going to, to, to just take to it. And then instead of it being an intimidating and terrifying and uh, horrible situation, that God's gonna use it in a really powerful way. And he's gonna multiply this time in this relationship. It's gonna have a profound impact in your relationship with your child. You'll look back and remember, this was a turning point for what God did 
in our relationship. And I bless you with that right now. In Jesus' name. So if you're a parent, you can sit down. And if you're a teacher, I want you to stand up. If you're a teacher here or at home, you're watching, I just want you to know that you have a job that nobody sees all that you do for these kids. And there's a scripture in heaven that, or there's a scripture that talks about you have treasure stored in heaven. Only, only God knows how much you go far and above and you are so special and as a teacher the same thing as a parent god has given you the ability to teach for such a time as this right now and you can do it and god knows how you're going to figure out childcare and all the other things that's faced that you are faced with so yes. teacher we know that you get a lot of criticism we know that you get put in the middle so many times of trying to figure out what parents want and um what educators want, and you, you face a diminished budget and um, in time, and right now you're really being challenged. And perhaps you're even asking yourself, is it even worth it to keep doing this? Maybe you've been saying to the Lord, would you just, would you just confirm if I'm going the right way? Would you just confirm that this is even what I'm supposed to be doing? Maybe you feel like quitting right now. Maybe you've even said those words. You've begun to plan the exit out. You just feel like it's not even worth it. And you've asked the Lord, give me a sign, speak to me. So I want to say to you right now that the Lord is on your side, that the Lord is going to give you resource and he is going to come alongside you. You are not going to be teaching from your own ability, but the grace of God is going to extend to you in a new way. You're going to find that God carries you along. And he also brings your students along. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would put such an anointing on you, that children are attracted to you, that you would actually have parents say to you, I don't know what it is about your classroom or your style, but yes. there's just such peace and my children are learning so much. In fact, I, I want you to be in a position where you have to say to the Lord, God, I, I don't want this many kids attracted to me. God, I want you to shut this down a little bit. I want you to be in that position where you actually have to say to the Lord, it's just, it's too much goodness. <laughs> Instead of always being on the other side where you're just like, God, it's, it's too much heaviness. It's just too much ugliness. I just pray for you and I, I want you to know we respect you. We hold you in esteem in this church. Like I would a pastor, a teacher is a called, anointed necessary and useful person. And I know you get so much of the other, but man, I speak over you right now, goodness. I speak over you right now, life. I speak over you, joy. I speak over you, vision. I speak over you, protection. I pray that you also would look back at this time and instead of talking about it with dread, you'd be able to say it was a marked time where the presence of God did the miraculous. And I attach that to you and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. So real quick, we have a gift for um, you. So go to jfc.org slash resource. What it is, is devotionals. It's devotionals for younger kids, for teenagers, for families, for a teacher, jfc.org slash resource. And it's a gift. So go on there and get it. We want to just bless you. We want to encourage you and we want to help you with this journey. So thank you everybody for being here, here and online. And we love you.